Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert Bucciolato. The Florida Turnpike is such an important part of the development of modern Florida, whether it's a tourist industry, whether it's our commerce, whether it's the development of Southeast Florida as one of the major metropolitan areas in the country, the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area, whether it was the development of amusement parks in the Orlando area, uh, whether it was better transportation for the citrus industry, which was uh, throughout the 20th century one of the, the key cogs in the economy of Florida and any number of other reasons, the Florida Turnpike and the building of the Florida Turnpike was a major event in the history of Florida. However, it wasn't as straightforward as you might think today, and it ended up being one of the great political fights and political debates of the 1940s and 1950s. To get the Turnpike built, the vision of modern Florida and Florida as an emerging economic power in this country came head on with old Florida and the pork chop gang, something we've talked about so much on this show. (laughs) Charles Costar, who was a CPA from South Florida, was very interested in building a turnpike. He had traveled on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, which opened in the early 1940s. He had traveled on some of the parkways, which were built by Robert Moses, uh, around New York City on Long Island and uh, up into Westchester County and felt like something similar would be very useful in Florida as far as moving people back and forth throughout the state and also, very importantly, bringing tourists into Florida and giving them a safe way to drive around the state. So Costar thinks you build a turnpike between Miami and Jacksonville the two primary cities in the state at the time. And also, if you build from Miami to Jacksonville, you ultimately can link up with some of the expressways in those two urban areas that were already uh, existing or in the planning stages of being built. And you essentially bring uh, people who are driving from the north, tourists from one part of the state to the other. So Charles Costar has this idea for a Sunshine State Parkway or Florida's Turnpike. It's now known as Florida's Turnpike. It was officially the Sunshine State Parkway at first, even though it was a turnpike, the Florida Turnpike Authority. And we'll get to that in a minute. But Costar runs head on as he's lobbying legislators in Tallahassee into the Senate president by the name of Charlie Johns. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Just to to paint the scene here, um, uh, for a number of years, I was very close with the Florida governor um, who actually passed away last month. His name was Wayne Mixon, Uh, and he used to work for the Farm Bureau, and uh, he had offices in central Florida, and then he would go home to Mariana, Florida on the weekend. And he used to describe to me these uh, elaborate systems of roads that uh, would take him to and fro uh, in almost in a zigzag course between Central Florida and North Florida. And, and he said it was an absolute nightmare when he'd have to go from Central Florida to South Florida. There was uh, an absolute just pattern of back roads that you, you had to know were there in order to get to your destination. And it was like many things at uh, the 1950s and 1960s in Florida, it was a mess. 
whether it was our legislative districts, whether it was our court system, everything was sort of tacked on. Each new um, consecutive generation of reforms were just sort of tacked on to the old system. So by, by the time we got to uh, what is considered modern Florida, um, everything needed to be revamped and it needed to be revamped yesterday. I mean, it was just a long, long time coming. So this was one of the major issues that most of the new Florida saw as being essential for our state's economic uh, and commercial growth. Now, when I say most of the state, I'm referring to central and south Florida. And as we've stated often in this show, Due to the apportionment at the time, even though that was a, a larger area of Florida, and either, even though um, a lot of transplant uh, people were coming and it was becoming more densely populated, it didn't have a lot of political capital to spend in the Florida House. That was reserved for North Florida, a.k.a. the Pork Chop Gang. And one of the things that the Pork Chop Gang gang lived on was political patronage for their district and what i mean by that is if you were to take a drive to stark florida in the 1950s which was the the home court of charlie johns the senate president and eventually acting governor you will see a four-lane highway for a population of about a thousand people and all of that was because he had the power to bring the goods home. And so they saw it as a real threat to have uh, such a mainstream way of transportation for all of Florida because they saw it as uh, really a way to sap their own power. That was how primal it was for them, uh, was the fact that they ran on a platform of clean, better, newer roads every two years. That was that was their infrastructure plan. And then you have these people that aren't even really Floridians that are coming here and they're wanting new roads. So that was that was where their hesitation came from. There had been an effort uh, by Costar and uh, County Commissioner Thomas Manuel to lobby the legislature and get the turnpike done in 1951 and 1952. They had no success uh, breaking the pork chop gang and actually, uh, believe it or not, got the support of Governor Fuller Warren, who we've talked about previously on this podcast, alternated between being a, a hardcore kind of right wing Southern populist and then a new age governor. Right. And, and that's why uh, he, he was just eccentric and colorful Florida's Huey Long in a way, uh, Fuller Warren. Anyway, 1952, you've written extensively about this. Robert Dan McCarty gets elected governor. And in the 1953 legislative session, Costar and Manuel set up shop in Tallahassee. They are able to get the Turnpike Authority passed. Governor McCarty signs the bill on July 11th. And a few months later, the governor passes away. Fort Pierce, McCarty's hometown, McCarty's, of course, the first governor from South Florida, is right on the line, right on the, the, the path of the turnpike. He, with the help of Costar 
and uh, Manuel bro- had break- broken the uh, pork chop can, and they had gotten the bill through Charlie Johns's Senate, and he had signed it, as I said, on July 11th. Charlie Johns becomes governor upon the passing of Governor McCarty, and we've talked extensively in the past on that pod on this podcast about that no need to rehash it johns is gone in 54 as governor leroy collins gets to cut the ribbon in january of 1957 as the first stretch of the sunshine state parkway opens from miami or a little bit north of miami really the golden what is now the golden glades interchange to fort pierce the plans are to keep building to jacksonville as we've talked about. And uh, I should mention, uh, there's a big bridge, one fairly substantial bridge on the Turnpike, which uh, opens in 1957 over the St. Lucie River. And that is named for Thomas Manuel, the Broward County Commissioner, who then became the chairman of the Turnpike Authority. So the federal government passes the Interstate Highway Act in the 1950s, very much a signature item of the Eisenhower administration, and included in the interstate highway system was a proposed road from Jacksonville to Miami. Now, there was some thought that there would be some concurrency between the two roads, the Florida Turnpike or the Sunshine State Parkway at that time, uh, between Miami and Jacksonville in some uh, in, in in some respect, in some areas, the state started to do uh, s- studies as to traffic counts, what would happen uh, if they kept building their road, if the federal government, would they get federal matching funds? A lot of uh, discussion about this. But then Ferris Bryant becomes governor of Florida. We talked about Ferris Bryant, obviously, before on the show. He is from Ocala. And he had a vested interest in seeing the road redirected. The road, of course, was going to go to Jacksonville. He wanted to see the road redirected toward his hometown of Ocala. And so the Florida Turnpike, the next stage of the Florida Turnpike, does not go from Fort Pierce to Jacksonville, but actually goes from Fort Pierce to a town called Wildwood, where it would meet up with Interstate 75, which was being built at the time uh, from uh Atlanta or from the Florida Georgia line down to Tampa. And so it met I-75 in that town of Wildwood. That was opened in 1964 when Bryant was still governor. The net result was the booming of Orlando, which uh, in 1964, when the turnpike opened, had a Martin Marietta uh, plant uh, to transport rockets to Cape Canaveral down the road and was really the hub of the citrus industry in the state of Florida. But Disney World and so many other amusement parks and so much else boom around Orlando takes place because of the Florida Turnpike being built through Orlando instead of straight up the coast of Jacksonville. So Orlando's success partly owes itself to Ferris Bryant's uh, selfishness in trying to get the Turnpike drawn hometown of Ocala. And interestingly enough, uh, the person that uh, succeeded him, Hayden Burns, his whole platform, because he uh, was serving an abbreviated two-year term, he was eligible to run for a four-year term and and essentially succeed himself like what Leroy Collins did earlier. And his whole platform for running for re-election was that he was going to bring the roads 
to Jacksonville to to sort of uh, northeast Florida, and it a- ended up not passing the legislature. It was uh, the we'll be generous and say that the accounting measurement methods that the, uh, the Hayden Burns governor's uh, office used were not accurate. And uh, so it didn't, it didn't add up. And I actually have a map of the proposal in my yeah. collection of items. And, and Burns wanted to essentially build because uh, in his view, Jacksonville had been screwed out of the first turnpike because of his predecessor, Brian. He essentially wanted to build another turnpike. That would go to Jacksonville, and you know they would both connect at some point, and you could funnel down to Miami. But he—that was a big part of his platform, and he had actually been the mayor of Jacksonville, so he had mayor when there was an expectation that that road would be built. In fairness to him, and oddly enough, uh, one of the people that destroyed that plan was a future governor himself, Lawton Childs. So, um, and and interestingly enough, too. Um, uh, the camps, the McCarty camp, the uh, Charlie Johns camp, and even uh, the Collins camp, all take credit for the Turnpike, even even though he was not a fan of the Turnpike and, and was not an ally of it. Uh, that is that was one of the chief planks of Charlie Johns's legacy. And if you go on uh, the uh, Florida government's page, they have all the the uh, official portraits of the governors. It specifically states that he was the governor who got the turnpike, even though he had absolutely nothing to do with it. Right. He had been an impediment to the building of the Sunshine State Parkway when he'd been Senate president, although it is actually a documented fact that the turnpike authority, headed by Thomas B. Manuel, who we mentioned earlier, Broward County Commissioner, who then became the head of the Turnpike Authority, did open its doors when Charlie John was governor. But he had nothing to do with it, right? It was Dan McCarty, one of his uh, his last acts was to, uh, to sign that bill. And, of course, he had been so instrumental in getting it done in the first place, had Governor McCarty. So the one last point I want to make on this show is uh, there were subsequently extensions to the Turnpike and also – uh, roads that were brought in under the Turnpike Authority. Uh, there was what was essentially a turnpike uh, called the Beeline Expressway that was uh, built to connect the turnpike, the mainline turnpike, through the Orlando area to the Cape Canaveral area. And that also allowed uh, the rockets and transport materials and things that were coming from uh, the uh, the the Orlando, the, the military installations around Orlando and the defense contractors. I mentioned Martin Marietta earlier, which is now Lockheed Martin. They have a, a plant on Sand Lake Road uh, at Kirkman Drive in, in uh, Orlando to, to transport materials to the Cape. There was also the building of the Homestead Extension of the Florida Turnpike, the Heft, uh, as it was colloquially known, uh, which allowed travelers to uh, to circle Miami, to, to bypass Miami, uh, to get to the Florida Keys and to get to Southern Dade County, uh, which uh, was is a very, very useful road. Uh, and allowed uh, more people to access the Keys and, and improve tourism uh, traffic in the Keys. Uh, one last point, I-95 between Jacksonville and Miami was not complete, totally complete, until 1987. So we're talking about in 1957, the first segment of the Sunshine State Parkway. Now the uh, Florida Turnpike was built, and that entire road from Jacksonville to Miami was not finished till 1987, which meant for a long period of time there were people getting off the uh, 
of the I-95 and onto the turnpike uh, in Fort Pierce and then getting back off uh, in Palm Beach Gardens to go down to Miami if you were driving from Jacksonville to Miami, Jacksonville to Miami or Fort Lauderdale, wherever uh, in South Florida. What ended up happening was because of that, the, Fed, the, the state of Florida realized they were losing highway funds. So the federal government had actually tried to cheat and use part of the turnpike since it was already built to Fort Pierce, the Miami portion, as a uh, as a way to not actually finish I-95, parts of I-95 through Martin County and St. Lucie County and Palm Beach County. There were other reasons, too, some environmental issues, land acquisition, all of that uh, that came into play. Uh, but uh, that was one of the last uh, portions of the mainline ter- uh, interstate highway system that was finished. Uh, the final section was uh, through Glenwood Canyon in uh, near Glenwood Springs, Colorado on I-70. But that portion of I-95 was one of the last portions done. And the state of Florida actually had to do traffic counts and show how much traffic was traveling between the Fort Pierce area and Palm Beach and then onward to Fort Lauderdale and Miami to justify to the federal government that they needed to build another road and the turnpike uh, needed to be separate because uh, that the, the, the turnpike was being overwhelmed by all this additional traffic. And as you know now, there is a, long, uh, a significant stretch of the turnpike and Interstate 95 that run directly parallel to one another, that run right alongside each other through portions of Martin uh, and St. Lucie counties, uh, particularly Martin County. And you can see that there is more than enough traffic on both highways. So it was a good thing that was done. Anyway, uh, thank you, Robert. Uh, We'll be back with you next week. We're going to talk a little bit about amusement parks in Florida the next couple of weeks. So that should be exciting. Uh, Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can subscribe to us at the Florida History Podcast. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.